Welcome back to another episode of The Actor's Room. My name's Jeff Tarowski, and this episode is titled The Corey Haim Situation. And we'll get into this right after my little setup in The Actor's Room. I hope you enjoy this show. Corey Haim was one of the most bankable actors of the 80s and one of the most talented young actors in the 80s as well. The fame came quick. So did the money, the success, the girls, just the way of life a young actor goes through, the stardom, all the stress. Yes, it's fun. Yes, it can be trying as well. Corey Haim went through it, and his story must be talked about. In the actor's room, in the title, like I said, is the Corey Haim situation. Because it is a situation that we must talk about. And in my show, I have brought up on several occasions how the business of Hollywood really does take its toll on people. And kids... Starting out in the business are the ones that get hurt the most. And the hurt happens because, well, they just don't have the right guidance, the right parents, whether it's a guardian as well, to help these young child actors not get hurt. Because, folks, there are sharks out there, predators. Preying on young kids. And they do. And Corey Haim is a great example of what can go wrong in a child star. And when you think about all those young stars that we've looked up to or have watched when we were kids. Like Fred Savage. Elijah Wood. What, what else? What other child stars? Drew Barrymore. I mean, there's a lot of them, actually. And you think, well, most of them turn out okay. Some don't. Most of them go through a lot of bullshit. Alyssa Milano, right? Ralph Macchio. <laughs> uh, there were some like Tom Cruise, although not very young. I guess he's a bad example. But, you know, he was a teenager. Um, but I'm talking about ones that start off when they're younger than, say, 13. It's a lot of pressure on a kid. So that's what we're going to talk about this week in the actor's room. And I have to apologize for my shows not coming out like they usually do. Uh, I've been kind of going through it here in Quarantineville with this whole coronavirus. Um, It's kind of gotten to me. I'm not as motivated to do certain things or I am more motivated to do other things. Um... For some reason, with this show, I have found it difficult to do research. Uh, It hasn't been hard to watch films. I've been watching a lot of films, a lot of shows, docs, things like that. But concentrating on one person has been hard for me to do during this whole time, this whole time period. I just can't find myself. 
concentrating on one actor. Plus, I have been getting great response from my docs. Folks, the show might be changing. I am getting a lot of reaction from the episode I did about there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. It's incredible. It's the most reactionary show I've ever done by far. Even more than River Phoenix. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing to me how that story has been so popular. In the, it, my opinion on it has been uh, agreed with by a lot of people. And it's such a compliment. So I'm really encouraged to do more docs because that's what seems to be popular. Uh, people are looking to learn more about docs or just uh, what other people feel about documentaries. You, you watch a doc and you think, well, I wonder if other people uh, feel the same way I do. Or if it's a mystery, you want to learn more about the doc. So you listen to podcasts or shows and you find out more about them. So great. More docs coming at you. And that's, hey, I'm fine with that. Docs, I could do them every show. And a while back, I thought about doing that. But for now, we're just going to have a mixture of docs, shows, films, actors, actresses, and whatnot. And there you go. All right. Um, Trying to think if there's anything else out there uh, I could bring up while I'm uh, (laughs) on. Got everything on the table. Um, Just maybe uh, kind of uh, excited that things are opening up here in Ohio. Uh, I was driving around today. Restaurants are opening. There's people going into restaurants. Just little shops reopening. It makes me so happy to see it. And God bless them. Those uh, little businesses that survive this, that's great. And I hope there's a lot of them. We predicted that a lot of them probably won't make it. But we could be wrong. These people hung in there. And the lockdown hopefully not being too long for most. And people will be able to go back to their regular lives soon enough. And and it's my opinion that this damn virus, this fucking piece of shit virus. And I'm, I'm almost at the point now, I don't even care how it started. It Viruses are viruses. Whether it was man-made or not. It got out. It's doing its fucking damage. There's not so much we can do about it. I mean, there's hiding away almost doesn't stop it. It's still there. And this fucking thing. Um, please don't place blame on anyone or any group of people about this. Okay. And say, oh, shame on them or shame on that person or shame on these group of people for what happened. They're killing all of these other people. No, the virus is killing all these people. I, it hurts me to hear media blaming people for this. It makes no sense to me. And I try not to uh, listen to the news, but sometimes I just can't help myself. But it really does anger me hearing uh, people blaming others for this thing. And the choices that others have made, politicians, whatever, health officials. But we didn't know. And I think they did the best they could. With the situation they had. And the information that they had at that time. And 
the, the least we can do is just be there for people. Support one another. Is it so hard to reach out and support people? And people are going to make mistakes. With these viruses, sometimes we just don't have the right information. We're doing the best we can. So it's great to see things opening up. And I hope that that's happening where you are. Okay, I'm going to jump off the soapbox that I put myself on there. It's my show. And I'm going to do that sometimes. Uh, you may not agree with me. Okay, you, you might be one of those people that are pointing fingers at others. And I hope that's not you. You're better than that. Okay, this virus is the enemy, not people. Okay, people want to go out and live their lives. Don't put them down for going out and wanting to continue their life. Freedom. Okay, that's their choice. They're not randomly killing people because they're going out and possibly spreading this virus. So love, peace, happiness, right togetherness, working together. Okay, we've been quarantined too long. It's time to now get back. And we are slowly. But wow, yeah, uh, soapbox off. <laughs> or, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my soapbox and I'm going to uh, put it all the way over there. For now, ah, right. You know, because, hey, this virus has been a part of our lives now for a few months, longer than that, and sometimes you just got to let it out. Let uh, I put the soapbox over here. Over here. Okay. Anyway. Okay. I did this show like a month ago, and I've listened to it a few times thinking, should I put this out? So I listened to it again last night. Because I was going to put it out. I'm like, I'm just going to put it out. It's not the best show I've ever done. It's not the worst show I've ever done. But I heard a mistake I made the last time I listened to it. And I said, I can't put this out. So here I am redoing my Corey Haim situation episode. At the age of 38, Mr. Corey Haim passed. Now, on the death certificate, it says that he died of pneumonia. And that might be true. But there are other factors that played into his death. One of them was he did have an enlarged heart, a weak heart. And he did for most of his life. But the main reason why Mr. Corey Haim passed at the age of 38 of pneumonia is because he abused his body. And he abused it in the way of using painkillers. This was a choice that young Mr. Haim made, young in his life, about taking pain relievers, prescription drugs. I'm not talking about Motrin, not talking about Tylenol. This young man was taking uh, an excessive amount of prescription drugs. And why? Well, because the young man had a lot of pain in him, in his soul, in his being, psychologically, emotionally. The little guy just couldn't take what was happening to him. Being young in the business of Hollywood. He was abused by people in the business. And he wasn't the only one. But Corey Haim was one of the young actors that was hurt at the hands of 
older people. And like I said, a prime example of a child star gone wrong. A child star gone astray. And I'm going to point fingers because the information I've gotten and the research I've done on uh, Corey Haim tells me that he didn't have the right guidance. And you got to look at his parents. Both of his parents were together, uh, married, when Corey Haim ventured out to Los Angeles to become a young actor. They're Canadian. And Corey Haim started his career as a young boy doing commercials, things like that, in Canada. They felt so good about Corey's chances of being a successful actor that the whole family picked it up and trekked across to Los Angeles because young Corey, and I believe he was around the age of 11, what a call, mom and dad, to pick it up and go to L.A. They must have felt pretty good about it. And Corey Haim was a cute kid. And he was full of personality. And he did very well at auditioning. These child actors. The ones that get the role. Okay. Their personalities. They, they beam. It's almost like. Here. Great example. I bring them up a lot. But there's a reason why. River Phoenix had an aura. He was so amazing. He'd walk into auditions, meet people to get a role. And they would just be like, wow, that kid, like there's something special about this kid. Corey Haim, but the same level. Not only did they have talent, but they made an impression On people in the business. People that were casting. And you got to think about this as well. Child actors are up against so many other young actors. It's incredible to me. That there are so many young aspiring actors. I mean there's a lot of actors period. Almost all age ranges. Mostly 20s you're going to find. Though it's between like 19 and 30. Okay, that age range, lot of actors. Uh, but you'd be surprised at how many child actors, hopefuls, there are. And you got the parents kind of uh, being that driving force for these kids because they're almost living through their child's success. This is a common theme in child actors. Now, mind you, there are child actors like Haim. That wanted to do it. But some of these actors. These young kids. They don't want to do it. It's their parents pushing them. Like these cute kids. Models. Now they should try acting. Bigger paychecks down the road. They're not going to be cute forever. So let's go ahead and get them into acting. Little background information on young actors. So Corey Haim. Great at auditions. Walked in the room beaming, smiling, full of life, full of spirit and talent. Uh, That's what the casting directors want to see. They want to see a kid walk in the room and, you know, everybody is just like smiling as well. They feel good. 
uh, it's a cute kid. They're inviting, and they're gonna bring something to the screen or project positive. Well, Corey Haim was seeping through the pores with this ability, this talent, and his parents were so confident in this that they decided the whole family moved out there. It wasn't like Corey Haim at the age of like 17. Like his dad drove him out to LA, gave his son a, a pay on the back, $500, a place to stay, and good luck, kid. No, it's a whole family. It's a family decision here. Uh, he had a, a sister, an older sister, and the mom and dad. So uh, four people in the family. I mean, this is affecting everybody's lives, just not Corey. The whole family. I think that's important in this story. So now you got the whole family in L.A. Young Corey, uh, I believe his sister was about maybe two years older, and mom and dad. Corey's doing good. They made the right call, right? Corey's getting work. And he's getting work right away. Commercials, yes. TV shows, yes. Films, yes. And before he knew it, Corey Haim got the starring role in a film called Lucas. He was 13. And it just amazes me that Here you got this kid, right? 13 years old. 13. Do you remember when you were 13? I remember when I was 13. I mean, impressionable age. I mean, 13. You are right around where things start to really change in your world. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's a very exciting time. But you don't know who you are yet. You are far from realizing or identifying who you are as a person. You're still searching, man. You're looking around. You need help. (laughs) I know I did. 13? Yeah. I mean, a lot going on inside. A lot of emotion. A lot of questions about who you are. And just um, needing guidance. And you, thinking back to when you were 13, could you have been starring in a movie? Getting all this adulation. Corey Haim had his own trailer, folks. He had adults getting him coffee, tea, juice, Slurpees, whatever he wanted. 13. People doing things for you. Telling you how wonderful you are. And by the way, Corey Haim was wonderful as an actor. The film role in Lucas... He played Lucas. So, yeah, that was his movie. Starring role. And so good that I believe that he was considered for an Academy Award. That good. 13-year-old. Not bad. Guess who else was in that film? Good old Charlie Sheen. And we talked about Charlie Sheen a few times. And this was the film where accusations came up. Rumors as well. About Corey Haim and Sheen's relationship on the film between takes. And it's been rumored that Sheen hurt Haim during that film. Charlie Sheen was 19 at the time. Haim was 13. So big age difference. Uh, My opinion on this. And I've stated this before. It hasn't changed. I don't believe it. Charlie Sheen 
is many things, like I said. Many, many, many things. And if you want to know all about Charlie Sheen, I recommend you go back in my shows. I dedicate two episodes to that young, innocent, holy, just <laughs> good man. I'm being sarcastic. I like Charlie Sheen as an actor. I think he's very talented in both comedy and drama. Mostly comedy, but he could do drama as well. Charlie Sheen, very talented. Likeable as an actor. As a person, not so much. And if you listen to my episodes back in the day, you'll see why. But... Charlie also was sort of like a child star. Now, mind you, he wasn't acting at a very early age like Haim. But Charlie Sheen grew up in an acting family. I mean, his dad was Martin Sheen, one of the biggest actors of that time. And Charlie Sheen grew up in that atmosphere, this acting world, Hollywood, this other planet that you and I have no idea what it's like to be a movie star or to just live in that world. It's like their own planet. They make you believe that they are like you, but they are not like you. Quick example. I went to acting school with Brian Garrity, who did some films. He's still working today. Very successful. He was just your run-of-the-mill, everyday kid. I think he's a little older than me. We're early 20s. Okay? Your normal, just guy. Nothing special. After he started getting success, doing good, making bank, he was on the stage at the Oscars. I I took a look at one. He had... A Facebook page for a while. I was friends with him on Facebook and then not. But I saw a picture of him. He was dating. Um, um, What was her name? She, Jessica Jones. She's Jessica Jones. I forget her real name now. Oh, sorry. But he was dating her for a while. They were together for a while. I thought they were going to get married. I did. And there was a picture I saw him in Beverly Hills. <laughs> He's walking around <laughs> with the, the Jessica Jones character, actress. I apologize. I don't know her name. I did at one point. He's walking around Beverly Hills with uh, her in this tiny little cute chihuahua, right? <laughs> He's wearing an outfit, folks, that he wouldn't have been caught dead in. 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I guarantee it. He would have got his ass kicked. <laughs> He's from New Jersey. Okay. His Jersey buddies would have been like, dude, what are you wearing? <laughs> he had like this outfit, like this shiny, uh, tight, uh, like his pants were hiked up. Like flood pants. Brian, I'm sorry. He's not listening. He doesn't give a shit. Brian, (laughs) 
That's what the business does to you, man. It changes you. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, he. You know what? Maybe uh, the girlfriend made him wear that. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. But you know, success, fame, uh, people slapping on the back a lot. You know, telling you how wonderful you are. Uh, you know, when you get to be famous or or well known. People start treating you differently. And in that process, you now change. That is inevitable. And with Corey Haim, that happened, man. He changed. Even as a kid, especially as a kid, he changed. When people are telling you, you're great. Uh, What would you like? Can I get you anything? Mr. Haim, (laughs) is there anything I could do for you? And he says it, and they do it for him. That's got to do something to you. It makes you feel important. And as cute as he was as well, uh, he was very popular with the ladies. My research tells me this, and uh, the girls loved him. I mean, he went out with Alyssa Milano for a while. Okay, Nicole Eggert, for fuck's sake. Do you remember how gorgeous Nicole Eggert was back then in the 80s? Well, Corey Haim went out with these girls. Like these girls that, you know, when we were in the 80s or people, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, some of my viewers, listeners may be older. Uh, so when they look back and go, okay, I was 40 at that time, 30. Uh, I didn't think Alyssa Milano was hot. And if I did, that's wrong. I did. So I guess that's wrong. It's not. It is. It's not. It is. <laughs> I guess it depends how old you are. <laughs> I guess if you're 40 at the time, and uh, Alyssa Milano, right? She's not like, who's the boss? Oh, man. Because she's my age. So, of course. Like, I grew up watching her. Alyssa Milano and who's the boss? Are you fucking kidding me? So cute. Uh, plus, I got a thing for Italians. Just, I do. I married one. So, I do. Okay. <laughs> I was in love with that girl. Big time. Big time. Uh, Nicole Eggert. Of course. Charles in charge. Holy shit. Enough. It's enough. Oh my God. Scott Bayo was all over that. All over it. And the funny thing is that Scott Bayo was older. Early 20s, I think. When uh, Nicole Eggert was on the show. She was young. 13, 14. He's messing around with her. Heyo, ho I get it. She was hot 13-year-old, hot 14-year-old. She was. Some of these girls don't look their age. But if they're 13, you don't touch, brah. Just because she's advancing and developing a little faster than, say, Susie Q down the street, doesn't mean you go there. I'm sure it's tempting, Scott. And it was. And he did. He went there. Because Nicole Eggert, uh, I know her a little bit. Not much, a little bit. Says that, uh, yeah, she was uh, too young for him. And he overstepped his bounds. Now, that's a, that's a fact. And she's coming out with the allegations against Mr. Scotty Bayo. Chachi. <laughs> Yo, Chachi. And I hear he's kind of a dick. Cocky guy, Scott Bayo. Just a little inside information in the business. Scott Bayo ain't that nice of a guy. He might be now. But back then, in his 20s and 30s, he was a dick. 
a major douchebag. He came up in the business too. Handsome, right? I'm sure girls all over him all the time. He can have any girl he wants, right? Yeah, gets ya. I mean, you think of kids in your high school that had their heads in the clouds, like the good-looking guys, the football players, always getting the girl, right? Cocky. Full of themselves, right? And they weren't even movie stars. Can you imagine that in a higher level, bigger level, bigger stage? Like the world stage. Not just a high school stage, but the world. Corey Haim. People knew who he was. It's got to do something to you. An impressionable as he was. Back then, at the age of 13, he allowed himself to be taken advantage of. And when I say that, I mean that. He allowed himself to be taken advantage of because he felt that was the thing to do. People in the business told Corey Haim that that's just the way it is in Hollywood. For some, that might be true. But that does that make it right? No. That's the way it is, right? Corey Haim was told this. And he participated. Young, impressionable. Sharks, doing what they do best. Hunt, be predators. These are dangerous people. But they exist. And they do damage. And that's because the guidance wasn't there for this young boy. Mom and dad, where were you? Mom? Dad? You got to be paying close attention to your kids. Especially in that situation. You got all these people around. Okay? And how can you let your son be hurt like that? He's 13, 14. And like these things are happening to him. And you don't know about it? Either A, you're stupid. Or B, you don't give a shit. Or C, you do know, but feel. That's just the way it is. And if you uh, make a ruckus about it, it'll hurt your son's career. God, I hope it's not C. Because if it's C, that'll put me in a level of angriness. But I know that also goes on as well. Parents turning a blind eye to abuse of their children in order to gain acceptance into the club. The club of Hollywood. The club of success. Why try to ruin that? Because Haim was hurt. In a bad way, too. I heard that because he was so impressionable and for reasons that I, I couldn't pinpoint uh, for a fact that Corey Haim was bisexual. Because um, it plays into this in a way. Um, you would hate to see, I'm just making uh, an example here. Say a 13-year-old Corey Haim was being seduced by 
a 40-year-old woman. Okay? Still wrong. Very, very wrong. Weird, right? And you try to look at it that way and go, whoa, whoa, yeah. But he was being seduced by men. And he did these things. Kind of willfully. I don't want to say Corey Haim went into these abuses with a smile on his face. Of course not. Um, but people telling him that that's just the way it is, it made him feel that it is just the way it goes. This is so messed up because I don't want you to take what I'm telling you and like that's, that's fact because it's, it's not true. It's only going by my research, what I've heard and so on. Bottom line, a child being put into these situations is wrong. The predator knows it. His parents know it. The people that work on films know it. Casting agents, directors, all of them know it. And if you have eyes... Brains and feelings and have a perspective. I think you know when something's going on. If you're on a set, if you're close to the situation, I think that people know that, say, Corey Haim was being hurt. Corey Haim wasn't the only one and his abusers. Who knew? This is my point. Whether it was the parents or other people on set, shame on them for not doing something about it. Because this poor kid was so upset about what happened to him, it'll destroy his life. He was taking pain relievers uh, to degrees that were ridiculous. So ridiculous. And I think it first started out, I think the main drug that he took right off the bat was weed. It turned into Coke. He got scared with Coke and didn't like the fact that it was doing a lot of damage and he would stay up for days. Although he liked staying up for days because he was a wiry kid. It was almost too over the top for him. Where he would be up for days. And you got to sleep, right? So he turned to something else. Prescription drugs. Downers. Vicodin. Valium. All that stuff. Oxycontin. The big stuff. At one point, Corey Haim said he was taking tranquilizers. Folks, that is unbelievable. And at first, sure it started out doing two a day. Then it went to four a day. And before he knew it, he was taking dozens a day. And when you're taking that much prescription drugs, no matter what they are, and you're taking dozens a day, what does that tell you? It tells you you're building an immunity to it. You got to take more, right? To get a, a better buzz. To kill your pain just a little bit more. 
Because it's at one point, 20 pills a day just ain't cutting it anymore. Really sad. Think about that. I take two for kidney stones and I'm good for the day. Two. This young man was taking dozens a day. And Corey Haim himself said it got so bad, he was taking close to 100 a day at one point. And right there, take a moment. Think about that. You are so full of pain. That much pain. You have to take nearly a hundred pills to get through the day. How in the hell did that kid walk down the street? I mean, I think he would walk, but like you'd see it, he'd be tilted. You know, you gotta put him back upright. My heart. My soul, my being goes out to someone like a Corey Haim because I just, the, the hurt that he must have had within him to take that much must have been significant beyond something that you can't even imagine. What the hell did they do to that poor kid? To put him on that path. And why didn't he have the right people around him? Was it just. Was he just too far gone? Was that it? This talented. Young man. And he was like. I remember watching him. When I was a teenager. Licensed to drive. Dream a little dream. The Lost Boys. Other movies that he did back then. There was a there was something about that guy. Am I right? There was something like even I I don't I it's hard to explain. He had an energy, like this excitement within him where others just other actors I'm talking about they just didn't have. And there are colleagues of Haim that said when they worked with him, he had that gift where he can look at a script okay, and just know the scene. It didn't take much for him to like where others would take days, weeks, months to understand their character. Like, God, you know, it would take them so long to just get going. And others, you know. It's so simple. Like they just look at the text and they go, they read the line and they go, yeah, they're, they're just hungry. They are, yeah, they, they just want to get to that party or, you know, yeah, they, you know, they're hurting because their mom yelled at them, you know, the other day, that scene, that's, that's what it's about. And like most of the time he'd be right. Like, yeah, that's it. Or other people like, why did you know that? I don't know. I just read its script and I felt that's, what was going on? He just had it. And you could tell, like with an actor, you watch them. They just, they have the energy. And he had that too. Like a Michael J. Fox, same thing. I love Michael J. Fox 
along the same lines as a Corey Haim. The talent, the spunk, the energy, just all all that stuff, right? Like a spark plug personality. So full of life. Corey Haim, so full of life. And it was sucked out of him. By years of abuse, by hands of people that don't deserve to walk on this planet. Okay? And those of you out there, if you're listening, you have these urges that are beyond your control, you think aren't natural or, or wrong, don't give in to them. It's the pieces of shit that do. And when you do that, you are hurting lives. Corey Haim was hurt so bad at the age of 38, dead. And don't tell me he died because of pneumonia. Yeah, he caught pneumonia. Uh huh. And if he didn't take years and years and years of abusive drugs like Vicodin, these pain relievers, he'd be alive today. He weakened his heart so much by taking years and years of those drugs that his heart couldn't take it. His heart couldn't fight the pneumonia. Just couldn't. And for that, he passed. 38 years old. 38. Way too young. So sad. Corey Haim. And he was so broke at the end of his life. His mother couldn't even pay for the funeral, folks. This child star. Famous. Wealthy. Gone. He was so addicted to pain relievers that people didn't want to work with him anymore. Girlfriends broke up with him. They couldn't handle his drug addiction. Sweet guy, they said. A sweetheart. But when extremely high, dangerous. When you're that high, anything's possible. He gave an interview. In the midst of his drug addiction. Where he is completely gone. Slurring speech. And he just talked like this. And the billboard was. And yeah. Folks I'm not kidding. That's how he sounded. They aired that. Okay. Shame on you. People that gave the interview. The company that produced it. And the person that okayed it. To put it on the air. What is wrong with you? Corey Haim, and you can go on YouTube and watch this. Put in Corey Haim, slurred speech, interview. You can find it. And he's doing just that. You know, when you're really drunk or just numb. Talk like, yeah, that. That was Corey Haim in this interview. Why air that? I mean, what's wrong with you? Corey was obviously uh, not well. As soon as he sat down to do that interview, and you heard him talking that way, you say, okay, (laughs) Corey, you're not feeling well. Go home, get some rest. We could do this next week when you're sober. How dare they do that? What is really going on? Like ratings, right? They're thinking, wow, this kid's high as a kite. Can't wait to put this out there. Shame on you people. What is wrong with you? This is the sort of thing that Corey Haim had to deal with in the midst of his addiction. It was out of his control. He lost 
close people to him. Girlfriends, like I said. Roles. They passed him by because he was too high to work with. He was so hard up for cash. He would go into those stores that sell off things, right? You go in there with your watch to get some cash. That's what he was doing at one point to score drugs. He was practically homeless. And I want to, before, this has been an interesting episode. I hope you don't hate me. I hope I'm filling you with information that is somewhat interesting and intriguing. And uh, I don't know, uh, during our quarantine time, they keep you, uh, your mind off of uh, other shit going on, right? Before I end this episode of the Corey Haim situation, got to talk about, for a brief moment, (laughs) I don't want to talk about him for long, okay? Corey Feldman. I don't want to talk about him for long because (laughs) I get angry. You know, even though it makes for a good show, me getting angry, I'll... I'll take my little soapbox I put over here. I'll bring it back and I'll throw it. I'll break it. Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, the two Corys, you know, doing a lot of films together, buddies, right? And they were for the most part. But later on down the line, I learned that Corey Feldman was very jealous. And when I say very, I mean to a sickening, disturbing, and outrageous degree. Of Corey Haim. Feldman was downright jealous. Of Haim. From the very start. Haim would get roles. That Feldman wanted. Bing boom. Jealousy in the business. It exists. And although it looked like those two just were buddies. The best buddies ever. Oh the two Corys. Look at how cute they are together. Eh. Corey Haim, I don't think cared for Feldman that much. I don't. I think he did at one point, you know, in the middle of their success, doing films together. They're just working well with one another. And they did. But later on, when they did that reality show, was it called The Two Corys? (laughs) Do you remember that? Did you watch it? And if you haven't, go back, watch it. It was scripted. Most of it was scripted. Ladies and gentlemen, most of it was scripted. Guess who was a producer of that show and was involved in writing it? Corey Feldman. And uh, if you remember, all they pretty much did was rip a new one into Corey Haim with bringing up his drug addiction and all of his problems. And at that time, Corey was doing the best he could. And I'm talking about Haim. He was doing the best he could to straighten himself out. Not taking an extravagant amount of drugs. He was taking a little bit. And although Corey Haim might have said he was clean for an extended period of time, he wasn't. He was ridiculously addicted to drugs. Mostly pills. And although he said he was sober, he was still taking shit. Whether it was over-the-counter, prescribed or not, 
the young man always had something in his system. Corey Feldman, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Okay? Uses Corey Haim to gain something. And Feldman, just stop it. And I think he is for the most part. It's just not right. And Judy Haim, his mom, is sick of Corey Feldman. It should be. Although I do blame Judy for a lot of Corey Haim's uh, downfall. Not only as an actor, but as a man. Like, she didn't uh, guide him in the right way as as a mom. The mom and dad got divorced eventually during Haim's career. It was just too much. For their marriage. And I get it. Judy really did like the Hollywood scene. She liked it. Where Corey's dad really didn't. It just wasn't him. And I think. Corey Haim's mom Judy. Really did. She bought in. To that lifestyle. It's easy to be. Addicted to it. To be lured in. To that business. Being around famous people. Going to parties, you know, just getting in to certain things makes you feel special. And she was feeling special about having a son that was famous. So mom and dad split, and mom had to sort of take care of Corey on her own and didn't do a very good job and let people like high executives, grips, stagehands, agents, Casting directors, possibly, abuse her son. And other people like Corey Feldman as well. Not sexually, but in other ways. The business of show. And showing you just how the business can destroy a young talent. A young man. Mr. Corey Haim. I really am sorry for what you went through. And, you know, he wasn't the only one that had to go through this stuff. It's amazing to me the things that I've seen with these young stars. And how they're incorporated into this lifestyle. And uh, if you remember Elijah Wood. okay, He came out a few years ago and said, Hollywood is full of pedophiles. Think about that. (laughs) He would know. And that's just a fact of life. And wanted to just bring up Corey Haim in case you forgot about him in his situation. Thank you for listening to the Actors Room. Shedding a light on the business. The business of show. And there you go. Next week, I'll be doing a doc. It's already in the books. I've recorded it already. Maybe I'll redo it. Maybe not. But I'm doing another doc. I hope you like it. So, go out tonight. Oh, shit. You could go out tonight. Get in the car. Go for a drive. That's what we did. We went out. We picked up 
a pool for our kids. We got them a pool. They're going to be swimming in the backyard this summer. Going to do that. Going to put up that pool, hopefully within the next week. And we just went out, drove around. We took the long way home. It's a beautiful day. I even sat outside on my porch today and just laid on my uh, my furniture, my outside furniture. And I got a front porch. Really great. Front porch. And I just sat out there. I enjoyed the day. I sat out there for like three hours. I was listening to my shows that I like. <clears throat> I was listening to, uh, what was I listening to? The Bonfire. Dude, those of you who don't know about the Bonfire, they're on Sirius XM Radio. The Bonfire. These two comedians, they're hilarious. I'm addicted. I was listening to them, enjoying the day. I hope that you enjoy your day. Things are looking up. I hope things are good for you. So, thank you for supporting the Actors Room. Sorry for the delay of the show coming out. I hope you hung in there. Hang in there with me. I'm hoping to get more shows out in the future. Uh, You know, in sufficient time. May God bless you. Have a good one.